Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking to Jack Naglieri, who is the CEO and co-founder of Panther. Uh, before starting Panther, Jack was a security engineer at Yahoo and Airbnb, where he learned firsthand how inefficient legacy SIM platforms are at high-scale detection and response. He uh, built Airbnb's open-source platform called StreamAlert to solve this problem before leaving to start Panther, which now has customers like Dropbox and Snowflake. I want to back up one second and explain uh, that Panther is a leading security monitoring platform that enables security teams to create developer-centric detection and responses for workflows, response workflows. We're going to talk to Jack about all of that, um, what Panther does, and uh, what's the current security kind of landscape, what does it look like, uh, talk about uh, legacy sims, you know, some issues with them, and more. But before we do that, I want to say hi to Jack. Jack, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Mark? Uh, pretty good. I'm up in Seattle, and I looked at your LinkedIn profile. It looks like you're down the coast in the uh, in the Bay Area. Yes, that's right. I'm in San Francisco. Are you in the city? I am. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, our headquarters, actually. Oh, it's great. I mean, I, I I love that city, and it's it's always in the news. <laughs> for these these days, it's uh, I, not to get political right off the bat, but it's kind of like this um, amazing city in so many different ways that is serving as this kind of uh, political, social kind of um, petri dish for experimentation. And it's it's kind of like a le leading indicator of of a lot of different things. And it must be it must be really exciting to live there. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, being in Silicon Valley is unlike anywhere else in the world if you're going to build a startup and the sheer amount of knowledge and advice and people and founders and, and and employees as well and just really great talent here is just really incredible and obviously with remote first a lot has changed and panther is a remote first company and we we have people everywhere but we also do have a physical headquarters in in the bay area and we actually have a, a large amount of our our teams in town right now so it's a packed office for once which is a fairly uncommon occurrence these days. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I just got back from Europe. The uh, company I primarily consult with uh, is is based in Budapest. And, you know, we had about 100 people there for a three-day face-to-face meeting. And it's, it's a lot of work getting everybody there. Um, but since we've all been, or most of us have been remote for the last couple of years, it was really actually beneficial to bring everybody together. And I, th I think you need that. I mean, that, 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 that human touch element is still qu quite important. Yeah, I mean, to be quite honest, I miss it. I think doing too many meetings over Zoom can really fatigue you, where you oh, sort yeah. of miss out on the human elements of talking to another person. And when we pass our voice and our video through a computer, it gets compressed and, and dehumanized. And it's a thing I think about a lot, just being from Zoom call to Zoom call and uh, completely changing it up and having meetings in real life just feels very refreshing. Absolutely. One of the issues that I've had is the, um, I'm, I'm more easily distracted on a Zoom call. So, you know, I have to hide my phone and I have to close sure, down, sure. you know, shut down all the other tabs and I have to really try hard to focus. And in the yeah, beginning, yeah. I, I was just terrible at it. I'm, I'm more aware and getting better at it now, but um, but it's a, it's a challenge for everybody. Yeah. 
Hey, I, and the one one other thing. Back to the your, your original comment about Silicon Valley um, and how exciting and you know amazing it is to to work there. It's funny because I've lived overseas for about twenty years, uh, off and on, and uh, and and worked for European and Asian and American companies. And people always ask me like, you know, what do you miss about America? And and what do you think is great about America? And I said, well, to be honest, I, I, the nature, I mean, you know, things like the Grand Canyon, the Rocky Mountains, you know, the California coast, uh, Hawaii. I mean, it's just, it, you know, it's it's amazing. But the other thing is the, the business environment and specifically Silicon Valley is, you know, it sounds cliche, but it is definitely the most unique business uh, center on the globe, on the planet. And when you work for you know if you work with europeans and you work with asians and you understand the mentality where that is is very different specifically in terms of like risk averseness and you know a lot of the places where i've lived people are so they're more afraid of failing than they are excited about succeeding and if you fail once then you know you're blackballed you're blacklisted you're you, that's it and if you know that and that's true if you're in switzerland if you're in japan it's 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 a really um people are super risk averse and you know one of the great things where where you're at is it's all about risk and in 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 taking the right risk and things like that so um i mean that must be really cool for you yeah i mean i love the the lack of risk aversion here <laughs> and I think as a startup, you you have to keep that as long as you're around. The whole idea with with high growth companies is you have to take risk after risk after risk to hit that growth. So it's not just you build a company once and it just works forever. It's it's a constant reinvention. And that's what we've seen in the last four years. The, the things I was doing the first year are completely different from year four, which is what we're on now. And it's completely different from what we're going to do next year. And we're constantly evolving, and you have to. Things are changing. Well, Things change what, a lot, you know. Markets change, people change, everything is always different. Yeah, technology changes. Um, the 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 threat landscape, the um, the yeah. protection landscape is it's always changing. Um, why don't you walk us through, you know, um, kind of the, the shorthand version of what you were seeing in your, you know, your roles as a security engineer at Yahoo and Airbnb that led you to develop some kind of um, alternatives to uh, legacy SIM platforms? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's not a secret. SIMs are are terrible systems just in general. I mean, I think it, in the last so, so, 10 some years... SIM manufacturers <laughs> might might disagree with you on that book, but please go ahead. Who would disagree? Some of the SIM, SIM uh, providers? Yeah, well, I think the majority of the market would disagree with them then because, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's probably like the most dissatisfied product I would see in security. And it's a thing that everyone wants to be good, but no one's truly cracked yet, in my opinion. I think that, I mean, Splunk and Elastic and those tools still own the majority of the market because the specialized tools haven't been either scalable enough or flexible enough to really adapt to like what we're actually doing in the field and it's just been a really big struggle for many years it's been a struggle because they're very difficult and expensive to scale they were really not built for the era of the cloud and like i was just saying that they're not built for what we're typically doing in incident response and what ends up happening is you have to fragment between all these different tools and you have to build all this scaffolding tooling around the sim for it to work and you have to 
manage your data pipelines because the sim doesn't scale and all these different things. So after doing that dance for many years and just not having the data that we needed, not being able to access it fast enough, I joined Airbnb and my manager at the time had this idea to use cloud native services like Lambda and Kinesis and these other like real-time streaming things to effectively build this more more scalable more sophisticated security analysis pipeline we called it stream alert and we called it a serverless data analysis framework and that's effectively what it was it was streaming data analysis and that's effectively what you're doing at the sim you're analyzing data and then you're determining if something is suspicious and I like to break it down to three different ways. It's like something informational that you just need to know happened. There's something that might be suspicious and there's something that's like totally suspicious. And depending on which three it is, you take different actions. The middle one is probably the most common just because we're trying to get a lot of signal all the time. And then that's sort of the investigation workflows. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of which we're, we're getting to a good point now where we can automate a lot with things like tines and even with a lot of the things we're developing in Panther, it's very similar. But it's just this idea, this core idea of, can we get all the data in, and then can we use things like code instead of some specialized language to do our detection and response? And then um, when we search our data using a, a data warehouse instead of using a index-based thing that is very tied to compute, very slow, very difficult, very expensive. So it was really, is really technological foundations is what spawned us to do this because we knew that it was the thing, the architectures were holding us back from actually running at the scale we needed to. And that sort of snowballed into what we're doing today, which is a very, very deep continuation of that work by using cloud native and using things like Snowflake as our data lake and really building on those core concepts and then beginning to make it much easier to, to get the benefits of these highly sophisticated systems that alleviate a lot of the benefits, uh, sorry, alleviate a lot of the challenges of old sims. So that's where we are today. So we're a cloud native sim. I still will call us a sim. I mean, at the end of the day, it's the easiest acronym to wrap your head around. I'm I'm not on the camp of like, oh, we're XDR. Oh, we're next gen sim. Like, okay, you can only say next gen for so many years. We've been saying next gen <laughs> for like five years. It's like, okay, yeah. I think we're, we're kind of just doing the same thing. Um, so maybe like spicy take, but uh, I just I just feel like a lot of vendors have been doing kind of the same thing and we're trying to be different by taking a very technological architectural foundation that's based in cloud native and then using that to really build um, the things on top that that make it easier for people to get the benefit of the, that sophistication. Well, so that leads me to the, the next question of, you, you mentioned that there's been an evolution of the platform um, since you founded the company explain like what has been the biggest shift or the you know or biggest change in direction that you've seen so there, there's a few different waves the first one was let's take what worked in in stream alert and sort of rebuild from scratch with the lessons learned um, when we built stream alert originally there was just a few there's a few um just natural limitations of the platform where we had we'd always wanted to re-architect it to scale better. And that's kind of where I, that's, that was my start point. So 
very early on, it was just let's use a, a more performant language. Let's because we're we're analyzing streaming data, so we need performance. And then from there, let's build a UI. And that was like v zero of Panther. It was just same concepts of Streamalert with the UI with a better architecture, more scalable, etc. And then as it evolved, we begin to think about um, more ways of getting data into the platform. We effectively have an ETL system in Panther, and it allows people to send any data that they have that's security relevant. So if we don't support it, you can generate a schema, and then the schema effectively does the conversion, and then it makes it to where when you send us unstructured data on the other end of that is a data warehouse, which is extremely, extremely powerful and takes people probably a year to build on their own properly. So the benefit of that is, is huge. And then really now the evolution that we're going through now is going from this really strong technological foundation to thinking about how do we take what security teams are actually doing and productize it and make sure that the tribal knowledge that we have as practitioners is put into the product to sort of give to other people who may not have that tribal knowledge. What I mean by that is when you think about response, for example, there's a lot of ways to do response from an incident. And that those start and endpoints may not be entirely clear to someone who's new to incident response because it, it is a very interesting art. There's no, there's no right way to do it, but you're effectively playing investigator. So anything that we can do in the platform to attach evidence into alerts, to allow for automated remediation or, or things similar to that, that, that help us get more signal and more context and take the things that we were doing manually and bring it into our product, that's what's going to be the most successful, in my opinion. And that's really what our focus is right now, is, is making the technological foundations not as scary for people to access because it can be sort of daunting if you don't come from that world. But it was a very important place to start because you can't really solve the workflow problem without a strong technical base, which to me is really where a lot of sims have failed. They haven't established strong enough technical bases, and then they fail to scale when it actually comes to game time. And we hear this all the time in security where they're like, oh, the sim demoed great. And there's all these dashboards and there's this UEBA and like all this stuff. And then we deployed it in production and it was useless. And so many people who are probably listening to this are like, yep, that's happened a lot. So I'm trying to avoid that fate uh, and actually build a sim that is matching what we're doing in reality and isn't really all, all dashboards and shiny objects and no actual value. And that's really my focus in the next, it's going to take years to, do this right. It's not by any means an easy thing. If it was an easy thing, then someone would have done it already. So that's kind of what I'm I'm dedicating my my life to, more or less, is figuring this out. Uh, so we can so we can be better security teams. And we don't have to deal with the pain of <clears throat> I'm not getting choked up. I'm just it's just early. <laughs> okay. I was like <laughs> No, I so, I dealt so, with that pain a lot for many years, so just trying to make it better and, and make Sims not terrible anymore. Well, I mean, you must have been doing something right. I mean, you've landed some pretty big customers like Dropbox and um, and Snowflake, um, and I'm sure there are there are others that you could um, drop in there as well. I got to ask you, when you go out and approach potential customers, what are their biggest concerns about deploying a, a solution like yours? 
Well, I mean, the thing I'll say right away is they don't have to deploy anything. It's all SaaS. So just to sort of establish that, there, okay. there's no such thing as on-prem Panther. It's all SaaS. So they literally click a button and then they have this unlimited scale SIM available to them. So I think the biggest things, if you just think sequentially how to get a SIM operational, you have to have data. So how easy is it to plug into our data pipelines? That question really depends on so many things. If you're a very um, prototypical cloud native shop, it's fairly simple. If you have a bunch of custom data streams and you have Kafka and you have this own, your own sort of data thing internally that you have to plug into, it becomes a lot more challenging, but that's just data engineering. It's not, it's not clear cut and everyone does it differently. So that, that can be one thing that we work around, but we try our best to work around it as best as possible, getting things into the cloud or building new things like we just released. Uh, ingestion uh, input for GCP PubSub. We had support for GCP blob storage, but PubSub is a streaming system. So if you're using that, which most GCP shops are, then we can get that data into Panther now, which is great. So the ingestion is one thing. Uh, we try to we try to spend time researching threats and and I hate saying that phrase because it sounds so buzzwordy, but we really research what are a good set of built-in detections that would help people have a strong baseline and then we go through each log source that we support like vpc flow logs and cloudtrail and okta and and duo and etc and then we release our packs and then uh, our customers can modify those packs to make it tailored for their environment uh, we're actually completely we're releasing a new version of our detections framework really soon too and i'm like very very excited about it and it makes this process of of modifying the upstream changes that we develop much, much simpler. And I'm very excited about that. And then besides that, it's just, um, I would say searching data in the data warehouse is the thing that people get hung up on a little bit. It can be a little bit of a, it's actually a fairly big difference in mentality of how you think about searching data. If you're not familiar with querying data warehouse, I mean, it's literally a SQL statement. It's a select all from a table where field equals value. And I think people just aren't used to it for security. So we're in the process of building an easier interface to it. So they don't have to think so hard during response. Because at the end, of the, the end of the day, the things we care about the most are speed and, and efficacy of our detection. And we're going to do whatever we can to make those metrics go up and to the right. So that's a little bit of what the current state of the world is. But the benefits are, are massive because you can get all of your data into one place you can have a system to where you don't need separate ETL platforms. We can do the ETL for you. You can stream, analyze all of your data, no matter what the scale is. I mean, we have customers sending us upwards of like a petabyte of data per month, and it's a pretty real scale. So being able to analyze the, the things as they stream and get that real-time feedback is so valuable for, for improving our, our our agility as incident responders and as detection engineers. And um, and then again, being able to retain all that data in a structured format is hugely valuable. And being able to just pick a month and be like, okay, I want to look at everything that happened in, in June of this year or June of last year or June of the year before that. And we just didn't have that ability before. And that was a huge challenge because we would get we would get um, we would get breached and then you'd look back and you're like, oh, we have a month of data. We don't know what happened. That's a horrible place to be in. And then you're you're getting fined. You're not you're not being able to be transparent enough to your 
your your users. You have to reset everything. It's just such a terrible story. And there's these really core fundamental things we can just build and solve that. And that was again like the the basis of where we wanted to start. And now the the goal is to just smooth out those workflows and make it more approachable for the non-technical folks. So you you mentioned in there, uh, you know, the ability to focus on certain types of threats. What are you seeing in terms of the the threat landscape, and in in what kind of incident detection um, is is most active that that um, from 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 your platform? It's a good question. I mean, we're seeing phishing all the time, and that's mm -hmm. fairly common. If you look at the most common breaches that have happened recently with Uber and and others, it's always phishing. I mean, humans are always the weakest link, so it's not like it's anything new. In ransomware, also, it's nothing new. We've been dealing with these things for years, so I don't think it's like a groundbreaking difference. It's just more of it, and um, yeah, I think it it really varies because I think everyone has the same handful of detections we care about in every environment, and then there's stuff that's unique to their environments. So that's that's kind of the challenge as a vendor is you can't like one size does not fit all. And that's the challenge with SIM is that every business is different. Every environment is different and what you're protecting is different. We try to make the platform flexible enough to where you get the benefit of the built-in stuff we've created. And we try to add new things as new attacks pop up like log4j and, and, and relevant zero days like that. And then our goal is to make it easy for customers to be like, okay, this, Upstream detection is really cool, but I want to contextualize it a bit more for my environment. And that's really where the power of a SIM comes into play. And then that's where also the power of like a community comes into play because people can share things and, and, and upstream them. And we do have an open source repository that has our detections. It has schemas and other, other uh, content that goes into the platform. Hey, earlier you mentioned that you know, with a lot of the more um, traditional tools, uh, there's this a great demo period. And then when they actually go to turn the tool on, make it live, that, you know, it it, it doesn't do or doesn't live, um, come close to what it was promised to do. Uh, how, how can somebody, uh, you know, wh what's a best practice that you would advise to evaluate a potential tool, whether it's yours or anybody else's? In fact, I, I, you know, how, how, how should a prospective customer evaluate your tool prior to purchase? It's a great question. I would say scale is part of it. So can this thing materially handle a frat, like, like a significant fraction of scale, even if it's for a few days? Obviously, it costs money to do this, right? It's not free. But mm -hmm. uh, typically, in our trial period, we give people a chunk of data for free. So if they wanted to feed, you know, 100 gigs or whatever, two terabytes a day or something, like we could figure something out. But um, we, we actually are, are launching a self-serve. And you'll be able to go to our website, panther.com, and, and get a trial instance of Panther. So we, we give people about... Uh, half a terabyte to a terabyte of data for free. But but I guess my 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 point is is how do they know what they're looking at? Is... Yeah, yeah, I'm getting. Okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I was just I was just pointing out like um, this ability of 
of starting, right? Like you have to start somewhere, right? Yeah. Like you have to deploy. Uh, and a lot of teams don't want to always talk to salespeople. So um, just making it clear, like you don't, we, we you don't need to. You can, you can <laughs> on phone. Um, okay. So I would say starting with obviously getting a system, getting access to something, and then onboarding a log source that you're often responding in and do a drill, like try to build a detection, do do the full end-to-end -end response and see how it feels. And get some custom data in that you haven't ever been able to get in before. Uh, write a detection that has been previously challenging and really use the, the three core parts of the system, which is getting data in, analyzing data and responding to alerts. And just do an exercise, pick, one particular type of attack and just model it and and play like red team blue team and go from there that's how i would do it i think Makes our, yeah when we when we when we do poc it's a lot of getting data in and ensuring scale value scale viability and just you know light end end flows but i don't i don't know if teams are actually doing like red team blue team type of exercises but things like that are pretty good way to evaluate the tool because that's in reality what you're going to be doing for you know months and years so it should feel good and it should plug into all your systems where you're doing communications messaging and things like that i i think you know a big chunk of the corporate world right now is on m365 and and a, a, a also sizable chunk is on azure and Microsoft offers Sentinel, for example, uh, which is it is not a full-blown SIM, but it is, I, I believe, native to the cloud. Um, how do you play alongside when, because, you know, all of those Azure and many of the M365 users already have access to Sentinel. They may not be turning it on, but they do have access to it. Uh, and there's, you know, it's it's free to a certain level. So there's there's kind of an incentive to use it. Uh, but you know, what's your how do how do you play alongside or do you? Yeah, it's a great question. And look, I, every major cloud is going to try and do something like this. And I think the benefit of being a standalone company is that we don't have to be overly biased to one particular set of logs, and we can build an integration to Azure and we already have an integration for Office 365. And I think the reality is that most companies aren't in a single cloud, especially the enterprise. And you're totally right that a lot of people are using Azure and Office 365, but a lot of people are using AWS as well and, and Google. So that's kind of where we play today is, is on the ladder. And the, the benefit for us is we can partner with everyone. We can partner with every cloud. We can be neutral. We can partner with the EDRs. We can partner with the clouds. We're all kind of converging into the same place. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens in the next few years, especially with like some of these acquisitions, like what Google's made recently with Mandiant and, um, and Simplify and things like that. And then um, I'm sure Microsoft wants to play a lot harder. And I know Sentinel's been doing well. But the thing is, is Sims need to be able to have all of the data in one place. and it's a little bit of a hard story uh, as the cloud vendor or as the EDR vendor to go and partner with another EDR vendor or another cloud that you may not be close with. And again, we're all sort of converging in the same place. And I think it's just the biggest thing that's going to differentiate us is how easy is it to work through and do incident response. And that's where we, we hope to really take our experience that we 
have from doing this for many years and, and using that tribal knowledge and sort of building it into those workflows and making sure that the people can respond quickly and, and intelligently. Thanks for that. Um, what's your what's your biggest challenge right now in terms of scaling your company? Oh man, um, where to start? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the way I always explain it is to get to to build a correct startup or to build a startup that survives, you have to get three things right. It's uh, you have to build a great product, which is the first thing. I mean, you, you don't exist without a product. You have to hire a great team, and you have to have a great market. And we're blessed to to be doing well in all three. There's there's a lot in product that we always are going to want to involve. There's people we're going to always need, and, and there's always new markets to go after. But as long as you get those three elements right and you continually evolve all three of them, then you'll survive. So I, I can't say hiring is our biggest challenge right now. I mean, we've grown quite a lot, and we have we've really brought a really great team together, and I'm, I'm very happy with the work that we've done there and recruiting and structuring the team and, and growing our executive team and, and everything. So I, I'm feeling really good about that. Um, my biggest focus right now is just, uh, again, thinking about how to build workflow into the product and how that changes how we go to market as well. And like I mentioned as well, we're, we're, we've introduced a self-serve so people can go to our website and, and try Panther. And that's going to change a lot of how we think about evolving uh, our product and, and the speed in which we evolve and it's it's quite a big change so it's not a struggle i think it's just more of we're sort of undergoing that evolution right now but if you asked me that question you know a year or two ago it would have been like hiring's hard because at, at that time in 2021 2020 when everyone went full remote it just became so insanely competitive and then now in the market where we've seen the slump lots of layoffs it's a lot easier to hire now because uh, job security is the thing that's actually like pretty challenging and a lot of people are very worried about it especially with like for example with twitter a lot of people are just kind of waiting they're like oh my god what's going to happen with elon coming in as our, our new boss and you know we've seen well, that then, a lot i don't know if you saw that that the um i think bloomberg released an article saying that the um the u.s the, the u.s government was going to potentially look into um, this acquisition as it may uh, have ramifications for national defense. And um, and I, I forget the actual uh, regulations and, and operating group that they cited that takes responsibility for these type of things. But just that sent the, the stock tumbling like like 20%. And, you know, and it's uh, that's kind of crazy that the government would, you know, actually... <laughs> <laughs> because because he's saying things that they don't want to say, but that all adds to the uncertainty. If you're working at Twitter, it's not like what is Elon going to do, but also what's the government going to do? You know? Yeah, that's a good point. And being a public company, they're much they're they're under much more scrutiny as well. So, yeah, it's um, I mean, look, it's it's not easy to build a company. It's actually not easy to to run a company either, and nothing's ever guaranteed. I mean, I think about. Think about Airbnb all the time. I used to work at Airbnb, as you mentioned in the intro, and they had a very existential moment during the pandemic because everyone basically stopped traveling. And they've been a company that's evolved so much over the years, and they've done whatever it took to survive. And I think you always have to be in that mindset as a founder, as you always have to be in survive mode. 
no matter what it is and you have to make hard decisions constantly so it's there's always there's always hard things to do it's not an easy job and that's why the risk is so high but that's why the the rewards are really high too and it can be very fulfilling to to build a company from scratch and to have you know a huge group of people employed to work on a mission and to make the world a little bit better or to make one part of the world a lot better and that's what we're all working towards right like that's that's a, that's a way we can be we can gain some motivation every day so no, it's, it's nice to 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 wake up in the morning and and have a mission you know and know know what you're sure. what you're excited about you know it's funny i in my experience like hiring is one of the most important things that you can do and it's even in good times uh it can be hard to get it right because how do you really know how a person's going to you know play out in that role and you can go through multiple rounds of interviews but there's a very big difference between interviews and actually doing the work. And so I feel, you know, there's there's a lot of, there's an element of risk when you hire, right? Because you're gonna invest this time and energy, well, one in the recruitment process, then on the onboarding, and then you're gonna give them the, you know, their role. And if they get it right, it's awesome. It's nothing better when you hire the right people, but if you get it wrong and it, you know, it's a pretty painful, it can be a painful experience. I find the same, there's a parallel with uh, with managing product. Because I'm sure that you've got, you know, a million different options in terms of, you know, the direction you can take your platform and the different features that you can add and what different customers are asking you for. And you kind of have to place your bets on, you know, which ones are going to have the biggest impact or maybe the quickest impact. You know, you have to have some type of heuristic to decide. Maybe walk us through, like, how do you decide the one the direction and then even down to like some of the features because everybody's every customer always wants something extra yeah that's a great question and it's a very hard it's a very hard thing to do in general and it's always a delicate balance so if we if we break it into a few groups the first is what do we need to do to make our current customers happy the second part is what do we need to do to innovate and the third part is quality of life and and um managing the features we've shipped so it's it's always risk reward right so it's what's the revenue opportunity for working on this feature you know you, you basically do rice scoring and our, our pms do this and they'll present us a score and be like hey we think we should do this right now because of these reasons it's going to have this reach this impact etc so they work really hard to do that that research ahead of time and then they sort of present it upward and then we're like yeah that makes sense based on what we're hearing and it makes sense also in the direction that we need to go. So yes, please go do that. Green light. So I it's, I like that that you're asking them to do the research up front. Instead, I mean, I you know every every company has a slightly different method, but um, more often than not, I've seen it that you know our customers are asking for this, or that you know your 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 sales team will come back, or your BDMs or whoever are saying, hey, the customer really needs this. This is what the market's telling us, and you kind of have to drill down and say, well is that what they really need or is there another way that we can do this and two like you know what's the what's the roi if we, if we do this and if, yeah. if they come in with that it makes the whole discussion much easier yeah it's all input i mean you obviously need to listen to your customers but you also need to connect the dots as well of what they're saying and the innovators dilemma is you have to pick and choose how you interpret that so yeah because if you, if you always listen to your customers they may actually steer you in the wrong direction funny right. enough 
So, because they, they they might have the old paradigm in mind, right? Oh, well, exactly. our old sim used to do that. We want it to do that. And you're like, but that's not the point of what we're trying to do here. <laughs> yeah. And I think I, I think we less so get dragged down that road of people wanting us to go back to the old way. I think they're more so just talking about problems they're having. Okay, we're mm. trying to search on data easier. We're trying to write XYZ type of detection or whatever it may be. Or we want to get new data sources in. You know, there's this new SaaS app that we started using, and you know, there's always evolution. There's always ways of making it better. But again, going back to the core focus of fast and effective, fast and intelligent, whatever it is you want to think about. But speed is very important in instant response in general. So whatever we're doing, it should really play into that strength. Well, hey, just uh, two more questions for you. One is, I, I noticed on your LinkedIn profile that you've um, you actually invested in a couple other security startups, uh, Run Zero and Tromso. Um, mm-hmm. There's pro- there possibly more. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. So, in in you're you're in the epicenter of, you know, IT and and security startups. What advice would you give to anybody thinking to either found a startup or join a startup in this space? It's very different advice, but I would say if you're going to found a startup in the space. Well, one, it should be based on, in my opinion, it should be based on real world experience that you have and solving some problem and, you know, doing the, the, the basic checks of like, has anyone done this before? Or this is why we're going to be different and 10 times better. And then really committing to that. And as a founder, like the advice I would give is it's really a long game if that's what you want, right? Like some people could create a startup just to get acquired, but you really want to build something largely impactful for a very long time. It's like a 10 year journey and being very upfront about that's really important. And the next thing I would say is just visualize where you want to go and consistently iterate on that vision. Every year you should have a new, a new endpoint. And I think this is more life advice than founder advice. They're kind of the same, but you have to know where you're going. And if you don't know where you're going, you're never going to get there. So write down where it is you want to be in six months or 12 months and, and make it lofty and be like, I'm going to go for that. And people in Silicon Valley really want, uh, they, they want to get behind a mission. They want to get behind this idea of the world being a little different. And as a founder, you have to have that ambition and you have to be able to reiterate that constantly. This is why we're building a new, better sim. You know, this is the problems that we're solving. This is the pain we're solving. This is why. Leaning into why is so important. It's not about what you're doing. It's about why you're doing it. To, to reference Simon Sinek. So having a I was just going to mention, message. and I, 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 I've, I've actually sent that out to a couple of people a few times when they're saying, you know, I, I, we're, we're having trouble connecting people with the mission. <laughs> like, well, this is one thing that you can watch. There's obviously a lot of other, uh, I guess, messages that you can you bake in as well. But, but understanding why is super important. Agreed. Yeah, that's, that's core human motivation in general. You know, if you tell someone, hey, do this, they're going to be like, why? <laughs> Why right. do you want me to do that? Oh, it, do well, that. I, I don't know if you have kids, but I, I have three boys, and and that's like, <laughs> that's as as you know, as soon as they as they can start to communicate, that's the that is the number one question. Yeah, hey, go clean your room. Why? Because <laughs> I told you to. So, <laughs> that's a bad answer. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like 
I think about that all the time too. I'm not a I'm not a parent, but I I guess I have you know a lot of metaphorical <laughs> children <laughs> in the company, right? Like I'm I'm responsible yeah. for other people, so the a lot of the techniques that we use to motivate the company, I I, I would imagine are similar to what you would do to to have a family and to manage manage your family, even though a company is not a family, which is an, another important. Yeah, you, you you can't uh, threaten to to, to to you can't thro- threaten to pull out the the stick and chase your kid around your meta- even your metaphorical ones with it, <laughs> but uh, no. Yeah, I mean, you could do that. It's just not effective. No, like berating right? people is not going to do anything. You know, you have to you have to have a level head, and you know you have to you have to think about like like a team sport. You know, we're all we're all working together towards you know shared missions, shared goals, and we're all trying to score as many points as we can and and really play on each other's strengths. So the team analogies is always really solid. Awesome. And That's the second my part point. of my question was if you were, if you're thinking about joining a, a startup. Mm. The, I mean, I guess the vi- advice I would give is uh, don't have an expectation that things are, are stable because yeah. they're not right. Startups are inherently dynamic environments and you are joining a startup to make some part of that company great. So as long as you go into that mindset, I think you'll end up having a much more impactful outcome. And I, I kind of wish I knew that before I went to Airbnb because, you know, there's a lot of things at Airbnb at that time where I was like, whoa, I can't believe we're doing that. And in terms of like infrastructure and things like that, but it's, it's honestly just because we were just trying to grow. They were growing so fast, right? right. And it's not the time for, for structure and for, uh, you know, stability. It's the time to, you know, keep the train on the tracks and 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 keep piling coal and just like make this thing go faster and build it a little taller, you know, but structurally it's very hard to change things. So just being aware of that and having that expectation that, hey, things are probably going to be very dynamic and maybe not as mature as you need. And I think depending on what stage of company you join, uh, it will really vary. The feedback that I get quite a lot actually is, um, because we've had a written culture and a remote culture for so long, people are like, whoa, the level of documentation you have is insane. And it's true. We we have a lot of things written out. Um, I started the RFC culture very early. So I guess it's another tip for founders is like start your written culture basically today. And I think we probably have less of a, less of a choice now being remote. I think that's more ingrained in us because there's no really other way, but yeah, that expectation. Expectation setting is important for everything, but especially for people coming into a startup. And, um, and yeah, make sure you trust the team and you like the team. You know, I think we don't emphasize enough of the human connection when we hire, and that's something that I always try to bring to the process. So that's some more great great advice. Okay, so my last question is, um, any you know closing thoughts, comments, and if anybody wants to find out more information about Panther. Or connect with you. What's the what's the best way to do that? Yeah, I mean, my 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 closing thoughts are: there's still a lot of work to be done on making security monitoring awesome, and our mission is really to alleviate a lot of this pain that SecOps practitioners have felt for the last 10 years, and we want to make sure that we deliver a sim that's fast and and pragmatic. And I think as long as we do that, then we'll make people happy, and we'll make their jobs easier, and we'll burnout and will actually allow people to to be excited about using a sim so that's that's a little bit of how i'm thinking about things and, and we're continuously evolving if you want to 
help join and, and make sim great highly recommend it <laughs> uh we fired a lot of incredible people with a lot of amazing backgrounds in in engineering and product and things like that and we also have uh sales and a lot of other positions open our i mean our website's panther.com uh forward slash careers is for jobs and then um if you click the button on the top right and you're you're curious about our product you can try it for free for 30 days um you can connect with me on twitter my twitter's twitter.com slash jack underscore naglieri first uh first underscore last is my is my uh twitter handle and then i occasionally write things on substack there's uh there's a link to that in my twitter profile and yeah and then we have a community as well we have a slack community where people um will post about little tips and things that we're, we're thinking about uh how to do security better how to do SecOps better and trying to grow that as well so that's all the things awesome Hey, Jack, I've really enjoyed this conversation, and uh, I, I'm sure the future is bright for you and the Panther team. We would just like to wish you guys a great remainder to 2022. Thanks, Mark. Really appreciate you having me on. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.